Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We continue our look at a, a devotional talk that was given to young adults on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. It was titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ's Church? And today, he asks a question, Eric, and then he answers his own question. The point that he's making here is similar to the uh, 17 points of the true church. We've been talking about that. You can go to our website, mrm.org slash blueprint church with the hyphen between those, and you can read how we compare those 17 points of the true church with the points that Callister makes. And so the 12th point of the 17 points of the true church, the officers must be called by God. And this is what Callister says. Did Christ's apostles and other officers make application for the ministry? They did not. Now, first of all, before we go on, we have to ask ourselves, what does he mean by other officers? Who could that possibly be? We know he mentioned specifically Christ's apostles, but who are the other officers? And the other general authorities would be the 70. And that's what makes this so interesting to me is because if the other officers are the 70 that Callister has in mind, when you look at Luke chapter 10, it's the only place that the 70 are ever mentioned. And that's the way it reads in the King James, the New King James. Here's what I want to bring out. He made a big deal a couple paragraphs earlier how the officers in the church and the structure of the church is supposed to be the way it was in Christ's day. And that's where he uses the word blueprint. Exactly. Well, there were 70s at the time of Christ. But if you look at what their job was, it seems like it was only a temporary position. You know, this is what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Now, if Jesus is no longer here in his earthly ministry and the appointment of the 70 was to precede him in areas where he was planning to go and they go out and then they come back and they rejoice, we never hear about them ever again. They accomplish their job. And as you'd mentioned, we don't hear about it anymore in the Gospels. We don't hear about it in the book of Acts. And we certainly don't hear the Apostle Paul mentioning 70s in his epistles. We don't hear anything from Jude. We don't hear anything from Peter in their writings. So it appears that the 70 did their job and that job was over. But that makes me ask if Tad Callister really believes his church is following the blueprint in the New Testament. Why does the Mormon church have 70s today when it doesn't appear like they had a long-lasting job to do in the New Testament? I think there's an inconsistency there. And I think another inconsistency is this. The 70 most specifically went out two by two. Yes. 
Do you see the modern Mormon 70s? Are they following that same pattern? I don't see that. No, they go out one by one to different regions and they they lead those regions. But yeah, two by two to do the work that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. And as you said, if it's following a blueprint, why isn't the LDS 70 doing the same thing that the biblical 70s were doing? Or why are they adding to something that the early church didn't seem to have after Jesus's resurrection? Why are they going back to a time before that? I wonder how many Latter-day Saints have ever even thought through that before. Well, Callister goes on and says, the blueprint tells us how Christ selected his officers. Quote, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, end quote. That's from John 15, 16. When Christ ordained his apostles, what did he give them? Matthew and Luke record the answer. He gave them power. The priesthood, power to act in his name and to do his work. That is why the blueprint tells us the Son of Man gave authority to his servants. That's from Mark thirteen thirty four. Why? So they could act in his name with his endorsement. Every man who holds the priesthood of God in this church today can trace his priesthood authority back to Jesus Christ, the source of all authority and power, so that he, likewise, is entitled to Christ's endorsement, his stamp of approval, as is required by the blueprint. Now, here is a a classic case of Mormon eisegesis. Nobody is arguing that when Jesus chose his disciples, his apostles, he came up to them and he said, follow me. And so when he asked the question, did any of them make application for the ministry? We certainly don't find any of the apostles doing that. But when he gives the impression that no officer would ever request a certain position in the church, I think this is where Callister misses something. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, for instance, this is what Paul writes. This is a faithful saying, If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. How would you know if a man desires the office of bishop, or this same word can also be translated elder, how would you know they're desiring the position of bishop or elder unless they were to ask somebody or suggest to somebody? So that would be a kind of asking or or making an application for that position. Yes, it makes it sound like a person could pursue this position, and how else would others know that he's pursuing that unless he were to tell them, I'm interested in being a bishop or an elder? Well, I think that that one verse seems to undermine the point that Callister's trying to make in this paragraph. Now, I would agree we don't find anywhere where any of the 12 apostles asked Jesus to be an apostle. I'll give them that. But to say that none of them can desire a position or want to hold a certain position, well, certainly we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that that is possible for the office of bishop or elder. When he cites four different verses, John 15, 16, Matthew 10, 1, Luke 9, 1, and Mark 13, 34, And then he draws the conclusion that this power that Jesus bestowed upon those disciples was priesthood power. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say this is a classic case of eisegesis is because nowhere will you find in any of those verses any mention of priesthood power. And we went through each of those verses off air and looked to see if anything about priesthood was talked about there. And we didn't find one case in any of the verses used by Callister. And here's what's interesting, folks. You will find no case in the New Testament of any of the apostles or any of the 70s ever holding this alleged Mormon priesthood. Mm. Never do you hear any mention of that. That is always assumed 
because it's a presupposition that the Mormon church brings out, but it's not anything that scripture says. We don't find anywhere where Peter or Paul or any of them held any such Melchizedek priesthood. We know that Jesus himself couldn't have held the Aaronic priesthood because he wasn't from the tribe of Aaron. He was from Judah. He wouldn't have been qualified to hold that position. Now, I want you to understand that in Mormonism, only the males are eligible to receive the priesthood of Mormonism, but the Bible teaches that everybody can be a son of God by belief. According to John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now that's true authority, Bill. And I think it should also be pointed out that that word right in the King James and in the New King James, it can be understood to mean authority as well. So as believers, we are given authority by Christ himself. So all of us have this authority to speak in his name. And so to limit it merely to the Mormon church, again, I think Mormons are coming to the table with some serious presuppositions that I don't think the New Testament would support. And I think we should make the point as well that in Mormonism, they're looking for humans to take over this office of prophet, Apostle 70. But I like what the book of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says in the King James, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. Notice, in the times past he spoke through these men, but today we have a prophet, and his name is Jesus. But yet Mormons want to insist that it has to be a mortal prophet. And again, we don't see that pattern in the New Testament. And remember, folks, the whole point of this talk that Tad Callister is giving is to try and impress upon the people listening to him that only the Mormon church follows this alleged blueprint. But so far, we're seeing that they seem to get away from the blueprint quite a bit. He goes on in his talk, and he's going to use the second point of the 17 points of the true church. The true church must bear the name of Jesus Christ, is what it said. And here's what Callister says. What was the name of the church organized by Christ? If we are baptized in the name of Christ, if we pray in the name of Christ, if we are saved in the name of Christ, and if he is the founder and chief cornerstone of his church, what would you expect the name of his church to be? The church of Jesus Christ. Let me stop you right there, because here again, I think Callister is overlooking a portion of Mormon history, because we know for a fact between 1834 and 1838, the Mormon church was not known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was not known as the Church of Christ. It was known as the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So if this is really a big issue, and folks, it's really an issue that Mormons make, because again, you don't find that pattern in the New Testament. You find Paul, for instance, recognizing believers according to the geography. It talks about the church which is at Corinth. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, the church of God which is at Corinth. And in Galatians 1, 2, it reads to the churches in Galatia. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 also talks about the church of the Thessalonians. And we see that in many of the letters written to different cities. And I think it needs to also be brought out that sometimes Paul, when addressing one of his epistles, he addresses it to the saints in a particular geography. Ah. That goes back to what we were saying last week. Tad Callister does not understand the New Testament definition of church And because he doesn't have the correct definition, his whole point seems to be missed entirely. 
the church is made up of individuals, those who have been redeemed. That's why Paul could use the word church and saints interchangeably, and he does that in his epistles. We see that pattern more than once. So when he talks about this whole idea of it has to have the name of Christ, well, apparently the Mormon church leadership in 1834 felt that they had the authority to change the name of the church from the Church of Christ to the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Four years later, in 1838, they feel they have the authority to change the name of the church once again, and now they meld the two titles together, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I would not be surprised if most Latter-day Saints don't know that, and they don't realize that for at least four years the church did not have the name of Christ in its title. And that alone, you would think, is undermining the point that Callister is trying to make here. It really doesn't matter what you call a building because the building is not the church. It doesn't matter what you call the organization because the organization is not the church. The church is composed of people, the sum total of those whom Christ has redeemed and forgiven. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has worked hard to equip people to understand the differences between Mormonism and the Christian faith. At MRM.org, we have dozens of articles and video resources that will educate you in a variety of ways. Or perhaps your church needs to schedule Mormonism Research Ministry to come for a live weekend presentation. Remember, we're here to equip the body of Christ. Let us know what we can do for you. Contact us through our website. Again, that's MRM.org.